any of them? No, I lost the video feed. Oh, okay. Is that Dow Talk? Do you need to do something? Okay, stop. Okay. All right. We're going to uh, continue your Bibles to Romans chapter 16, verse 17. Romans chapter 16, verse 17. We're going to... Uh, this evening we're going to study Romans 16, 19. And we're coming near the end of the book of Romans and we're going to have... Uh, we're going to have... Uh, our last week of classes in Romans next uh, next Sunday this coming Sunday is our last class in Romans and then next Tuesday we'll be studying the book of Jonah with an introduction to the book of Jonah so if you could turn it should be at Romans chapter 16 verse 17 and as we normally do we take a moment of silent prayer to prepare ourselves to hear the teaching of the word of God applying 1 John 1 9 if necessary remember that recovers our fellowship with God and then we maintain that fellowship by bringing in our, bringing our thoughts into obedience to the spirit who speaks to us through the teaching of the Word of God. So, if there's anything that's disturbing or distracting to you, do what 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxieties upon the Lord because He cares for you. So, in the privacy of our very own royal priesthood, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us, another day to study your word, to learn of your plan. We just thank you, Father, for gracing us out and treating us in a manner that we don't deserve. And help us to remember that how you treated us, grace and mercy and love, so we could operate that same way toward each other and our fellow man, our fellow believers in Christ. We thank you, Father, for your great sacrifice and your willingness to send your Son into the world to become a human being and to die for our sins. And not only to die for our personal sins, but to deal with the sin nature problem that we all have. We thank you, Father, for raising him from the dead for our justification. And we thank you, Father, for the gift of the Holy Spirit and all that he did for us the minute we trusted in your Son as Savior and appropriating for us all that your Son accomplished for us through his death and resurrection. And we just thank you for again for gracing us out and giving us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And we pray that the Spirit through the Word of God would continue to show us all the wonderful blessings that we have that are in our possession now and that we could uh, experience now if we operate in faith in your word. And we just thank you, Father, for those who you brought here this evening that are serious students of the word of God. We thank you, Father, for the Thompsons opening up their home to us so that we could uh, teach here and to communicate the word of God. We thank you for our Pal Talk audience and those who will be listening to this uh, class on the website. And uh, we just pray, Father, that they and the audience would receive their necessary spiritual nourishment, that they would have the Word firmly planted in their souls, and that the Spirit would go to water it. And we just pray, Father, that you would help us in understanding the application of the things that we'll be noting here this evening in Romans, and give grace to the communicator, Father. Empower him to deliver your full counsel with accuracy and clarity, reverence and respect and power, and so that your people would be ministered to, and you and your Son, Jesus Christ would be lifted up and glorified. So, Father, we pray for these things in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, this evening you should be at Romans chapter 16, verse 17. 
And we're going to note verse 19 here this evening. And Paul in this verse is going to advance upon and intensify his warning to watch out for the legalistic teaching of the Judaizers and his command to avoid them. Now we're going to see in Romans 16:19, Paul states that he warned them because even though their obedience was known to all throughout the Roman Empire, he rejoiced over this obedience. He still, and oh, even though he he was uh, he warned them because of, in this verse in Romans 16:19, he states that he warned them because even though their disobedience was no, uh, their obedience, excuse me, was known to all, and he rejoiced over this obedience, he still wanted them to be wise with respect to what is good and innocent with respect to evil. So he's going to talk about discernment here in this passage. He wants us to be discerning, and his readers to be discerning, and the Holy Spirit wants us here in the 21st century to to be discerning about legalistic teachers, the false teachers to teach false doctrines such as you could lose your salvation. There are individuals that are, are involved in the outward uh, appearances rather than what's going on in the heart. They are the individuals that will uh, overlook what the Word of God says and what they'll do is that they'll bring come up with their own traditions as we saw the Pharisees did. And, we, and they're involved in hypocrisy. They'll make a shell outward appearance that they're religious and they can use all the catchphrases that are out there in Christianity today, but yet they don't know their Bible, and they thus, because of their ignorance of the Word of God, uh, they what they do is they don't know how to apply that which they don't know. So, what they do is they come up with their own ideas of what God has, and then they uh, basically throw them on people and force them upon people and demand that these people obey these things. So, every, every time you listen to a false, uh, you know, somebody who teaches the Word of God, you you need to be a student of the Word of God. You've been given the Holy Spirit so you can discern. And you can discern what, who is a false teacher and who is not. For instance, people who reject the deity of Jesus Christ. Those individuals are obviously false teachers. And we know that because the Scriptures teach that Jesus Christ emphatically is the incarnate Son of God, meaning He's the Son of God in human flesh. Now, place it. The individuals like the Mormons and like uh, uh, the Jehovah Witnesses, they reject the deity of Jesus Christ. They do not believe that He's equal to the Father and the Spirit. They don't even believe in the Trinity. And so you got to have discernment, and a lot of Christians don't have discernment, and don't know how to defend the faith, and don't know how to deal with these individuals that reject the deity of Christ, and it's because they don't know their Bible. They don't, they're not serious students of the Word of God. They don't know the whole realm of doctrine. They don't want to put the time and apply themselves to Bible study. That's why a lot of a lot of churches could never ever do verse-by-verse -verse study of the book of Romans. As I said many times before, they want their ears tickled. They don't want to put the work in to experience uh, their sanctification. They don't want to put the work in and to, that, that demanded of us as believers to grow to spiritual maturity. You don't grow to spiritual maturity overnight. You get saved, you're not going to grow to spiritual maturity in a year or even two years. It's a lifelong endeavor and it's something that we have to be totally immersed in what the Spirit says to us in the Word of God. We need to be serious students of the Word of God. And the Roman believers were like that. They were serious students of the Word of God. It was, as we saw in Romans 15, Paul acknowledged the fact that they were, they were full of knowledge, full of goodness, and able to admonish one another. That means instruct one another. So we should be able to instruct one another at some point in our walk with God. And we're all at different stages of spiritual growth. And as I said before many times, if you've been a Christian for 15, 20 years, or 25 years, and you still can't come to the... You're still in the 
get to the point where you're able to instruct another Christian, there's something wrong. Unless you're already in the, in the process of getting serious, maybe you blew 15 years or 20 years, and you finally realized that, hey, I need to get my act together, and now in the last five years of your walk with God, you've been serious about your Bible study. For instance, when I first got saved at 19, it wasn't until I was 25 years old that I sat there because somebody said to me, uh, a guy who led me to the Lord, and he said it in a real flip manner, and I'm glad he, he said that. I, some people would take it as an insult. I took it as a challenge. He was talking about theophanies, and, uh, and he was listening to Bob McLaughlin talk about a theophany. And uh, I was like, what's a theophany? And he said, you're a Christian? You still don't know what a theophany is? Well, that just ticked me off. And then I said, you know, I don't know. I, I can see this is where Christians either can get humble and say, I don't know, or I'm, I, and I need to learn, or they say, how dare he insults me like that? A lot of times we have in, people uh, you could take insults, Christians take insults, when in reality it's a loving rebuke. And so I took the challenge. I, I said, you know, I got to be humble here. I'm, I'm, I don't know, and I should know. And I've been Christian five years, and I still don't know this. Well, after that, I, I seriously sought after Bible teaching, and God gave it to me. If you're serious about the Word of God, it will be made available to you. And is a big, and I'll tell you another thing: is a great consequence when you have great Bible teaching, and if you reject it, there's consequences to that. And Paul saying. Uh, he's saying, I want you to have discernment. If you reject my teaching, you're not going to have the discernment to, to understand and discern who these false teachers are. So Paul here in Romans 16, 19, states that he warned the Roman believers in verses 17 and 18, because even though their, their obedience was known to all the majority of Christians in the Roman Empire, and he rejoiced over this obedience, he still wanted the Roman believers to be wise with respect to what is good, i.e. the Father's will, and innocent with respect to evil, that which is not according to the will of the Father. Now look at Romans chapter 16, verse 17. Paul says, Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions, or as we saw, divisions, and hindrances, meaning uh, uh, instances, uh, uh, temptations to go into sin and to enter into apostasy, contrary to the teaching which you learned and turn away from them. So if they're teaching false doctrine, they're not adhering to what you've been taught in the Word of God, you're to turn away from them. You're to avoid them because they've rejected the teaching of the apostles. And the apostles' teaching is in the New Testament. And then he says in verse 18, explaining his warning, he says, For such men, and we know that these are the Judaizers, are slaves, not of our Lord Christ, but of their own appetites. He's being sarcastic. He's, he's referring to, alluding to, the, the Judaizers' uh, ridiculous adherence, strict adherence to the dietary regulations in the Mosaic Law, which do not apply to the church age, because Jesus taught in Mark 7, we saw last week, and many times in the past when we studied Romans 14, that all food, you can eat all foods. And then he goes on to say, and the manner, and to describe the manner in which these false teachers operate, by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. Unsuspecting talks about someone who's spiritually naive, or they are not spiritually discerned. How shocking it is. So 
to me for Christians who do who are so naive and lack discernment that they'll listen to any old piece of junk that's out there. It's amazing to me. It's absolutely stunning to me how Christians will listen to anything that's out there and take it as gospel. If somebody says something and it doesn't line up with the Word of God, you reject it. But you know what? We'll listen. We'll accept and, and listen to any old thing that somebody says and think that it's the truth. When in reality, if it doesn't measure up to the script, what the scriptures say, which are rejected. For instance, people out there, there are people out there who gossip, judge, and malign. Why do Christians listen to that? Why do Christian listen? Christians listen to gossip, judging, and maligning another Christian. Why do Christians allow that? They lack discernment, or either that. They love that sort of thing. Maybe they love gossip. Maybe they love to tear down another person. They wouldn't like it to happen to them, yet they're all... They're with, they never give. For instance, the Bible says you give somebody the benefit of the doubt. You give them grace. But why do Christians not give people the benefit of the doubt? They wouldn't like that. They would be like... They would like to be... You're supposed to love your neighbors yourself? How is that loving your neighbors yourself when you stab them in the back or you speak evil of them? Or you gossip about them? How is that... Loving your neighbor as yourself, I'd like to know. But Christians, they'll listen to that stuff. They'll be discerning to that stuff. They'll stay in a church that does that stuff. That's lacking discernment. Because you know why? They don't care what the Word of God says. They care what people think. They care. That's, what the Jew, that's what the legalistic teachers of the Judaizers were. They were people pleasers. God pleasers were what the apostles were and Jesus were. And so we see here that these false teachers who were in context of the Judaizers... They deceive by their smooth and flattering speech. They will flatter you because they want to gain adherence to themselves. That's what the Judaizers would do. They would try to take people away from Paul, the Judaizers, and they would flatter people to do that. And of course, the sin nature loves that. The sin nature loves to be flattered. We all like to be flattered. But you've got to ask yourself a question. Is this person flattering me? For what reason? Why are they flattering me? Well, this is what goes on. This is what goes on in Christianity today. And we're to watch out for these individuals. Smooth, uh, the, 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 the false teachers, the Judaizers, they have smooth and flattering speech and they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting, the spiritually naive. Then he goes on to say in verse 19, For the report of your obedience has reached to, to all, he says. Therefore, I'm rejoicing over you. But I want you to be wise in what is good, and innocent in what is evil. So verse 19, as we, as we say, is advancing upon, it's intensifying Paul's warning in verses 17 18 to watch out for the legalistic teaching of the Judaizers and his command to avoid them because they're not slaves of Christ but to the dietary regulations of the law and they deceive the hearts of the naive. So everything he said in verses 17 and 18 is intensified in verse 19. Now when he says the report of your obedience, that's composed of a couple of words in the Greek. We have the personal pronoun C, which is translated here, yar, correctly. Then we have the word ipakoi. Ipakoi is translated in your Bibles, the report, and you can put dot, 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 obedience. Now, ipakoi... Ipakoi means or refers to the obedience of the gospel by the Roman believers. Not only when they exercised faith alone and Christ alone and were declared justified by the Father, but it also refers to their obedience to the gospel after their conversion and their advance to spiritual maturity. So we saw in Romans chapters 2, 3, and 4, 
You, how do you get converted to Christianity? How do you get declared justified it, by the Father? Meaning accepted into the Father's family forever through faith alone and Christ alone. Then we saw in chapters, uh, chapter 5, he talks about the benefits of this justification. Chapter 6, 7, and 8 are all about your obedience to the gospel after your conversion to Christianity. That, that you are to appropriate by faith that which the Spirit says, that you're crucified, died, buried, and raised with Christ, and seated with Christ at the right hand of the Father, when you appropriate that doctrine, that teaching, you're going to experience that victory over sin, Satan, and his cosmic system. So when he talks about this obedience, it's not just talking about their obedience at conversion to Christianity. He's saying after their conversion to Christianity. So many times Christians, when they look at the word gospel in their Bibles, they cookie cut it. They think, oh, that means uh, to get when I got saved, the message of the, of the gospel when I got saved. No, it, depending on the context, it could talk about what you're to do after conversion. What am I going to do after I get saved? That is a big question the Christians don't answer for themselves. Okay, you got saved. I know how to get saved. Well, if that's the case, what do you do after you've been saved? Sit around and wait for the rapture? What do you do? Well, I've been showing you what to do. Paul's been showing you what to do. I've been trying to show you what Paul's telling us to do. And all the writers of the New Testament grow up to spiritual maturity. And that depends upon your attitude toward the Word of God. And the Spirit speaks to us through the Word of God. What are you going to do with the Word of God? That is your spiritual food. You have, you have, when you have a little baby, you have an infant, you give it milk, right? Or her milk. And then you give it solid food. And so it grows up and matures. Well, the same thing happens in the spiritual realm. The Word of God is our spiritual food. Man does not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God... How many times have I said that since I've been in Iowa? A trillion times, I'm sure. But yet, why is it Christians cannot take in the Word of God every day and just do it on Sundays? I'm not talking about just coming to Bible class. I'm talking about even outside of Bible class. You should have your own personal study, whether it's 15 minutes, a half hour, an hour is even better. Just like prayer, set aside, sanctified time. Because that's what you're going to do to grow up spiritually, is every day put some time into your relationship with God. Every day before you go to work, go and study, have a little private prayer study, or a little Bible study of your own, or listen to a, a class on our website, and listen, get some doctrine before you go to, to work. I used to do it all the time. I used to listen to a tape, used to uh, work on a passage, Two hours before I went to work. I get up at five in the morning and I would leave at, to, like, to go to work at eight to get someplace at nine. So I would, and I would, when I'm driving there, I'm listening to a tape. So I was, what I was trying, and that helped me through my day. It got me through my day so much so that it carried me through my day, the, what the Spirit said to me in that private time of study. I can't emphasize that much, that, that, that enough. That's how you're going to grow up the spiritual maturity. That's how you're going to grow spiritually is the Word of God. And so when he talks about this obedience, Paul is very, very happy about these individuals' obedience, the Roman believers. And so much so that in the Roman Empire, a majority of Christians in the Roman Empire had heard of this obedience of the Roman believers, and even including Paul. Because remember, Paul in Romans 16 got reports back from those Roman believers like Prisca and Aquila, and he actually mentions the fact that uh, throughout the Roman Empire, Romans 1.8, their faith is known throughout the world, and then Romans 15, 13, and 14, uh, uh, Romans 15, verses 14 and 15, that they were, he, he was confident 
absolutely confident that they were filled with all knowledge and wisdom and able to admonish one another. How did he get that knowledge of them when he never met them? He got reports from those people like Prisca and Aquila in Romans 16 that he mentions. They were this. The Roman believers were renowned. They were a great church. They were renowned throughout the Roman Empire. Their obedience. Uh, look at it. Says in uh, in Romans 16:19 it says, "For the report of your obedience has reached to all." That word, that phrase, has reached, is the aris middle indicative form of the verb afigneoma, which is used to the Roman believers obedience to the gospel and its object is those believers throughout the Roman Empire who have heard of their faith. Thus Paul's acknowledging here in verse 19 the fact that the Roman believers obedience to the gospel had become known to the majority of believers throughout the Roman Empire as a result of having this information reached them by reports from other Christians. When he says to all, that's not talking about each and every single Christian in the Roman Empire. It's talking about a large representative number of Christians in the Roman Empire in 57 AD and it refers to the majority of Christians in the Empire at that particular time in history. And Paul refers to this at the beginning of the epistle. It's kind of interesting. Many of the themes that Paul mentions in chapter 16 he mentions in his introduction. So go to Romans chapter 1 verse 1. Let me show you where he... In the beginning of the epistle, he talks about their obedience being known throughout the Roman Empire. Look at Romans chapter 1. Look at verse 1. Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a born servant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom, Jesus Christ our Lord, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of the faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake, among whom... You also are the call of Jesus Christ. To all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Then let me says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, because your faith is what being proclaimed throughout the entire world. So right there at the beginning of the epistle, he acknowledges the fact that the Roman believers were well known among Christians throughout Christian circles. They were well known. So this was a great, great church. And even the great apostle Paul acknowledged that these guys were great believers and hadn't even met them. Now I'll go back to Romans chapter 16, verse 19. It is a, uh, Jody, are there Bibles back there? Do you guys want it? Yeah, if you can get, if you can get the Cheyenne one. Just grab one for those guys. Okay, I could use my, uh, my net Bible too if you want. Yeah, one of you guys can have it. That's the net Bible. That's a good one. Alright, should uh, both of them are good. <laughs> Look at Romans 16, 19. <laughs> both good, good translations. Romans 16, 19. Give you a chance to get there, guys. So in Romans 16, 19, Paul is like, he says, he's acknowledging once again. He's acknowledging again that is a tiny. Oh, okay. 
<laughs> you know, you got a magnifying glass there too? Oh, you guys are slick. Now, when he says in verse 19, he says, the report of your obedience is reached to all. He's, he's, he's basically there. Advanced, that statement's advancing again upon verses 17 and 18, those verses, that warning about the legalistic teachers of the, the legalistic teaching of the Judaizers. And he's saying, hey, your obedience, I'm acknowledging your obedience is known to all. But that's setting them up for another warning. He said, yeah, you guys are doing great. You're running good. You're running well. You're living the spiritual life. You're advancing the spiritual maturity. However, you've got to be careful here. You need to be careful. You can't be... I want you to have discernment. And the reason why I warned you is because I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. So when he says in verse 19, For the report of your obedience is reached to all, and then he makes an inference from that statement. Therefore I'm rejoicing over you, but I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. So when he says, Therefore I am rejoicing over you, that's the result of an inference from the previous statement that the obedience of the Roman believers to the gospel had itself become known to many Christians in the Roman Empire. When he says, but I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil, that's presenting a contrast with Paul's previous statement that he was rejoicing because of the obedience of the Roman believers to the gospel. Yeah, I'm happy as a son of a gun that you guys are obedient to the gospel. That's great. Everybody knows about it. Great. However, I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. That's telling us something. The implication is, no matter how fast, far you grow in the spiritual life, how far you advance in the spiritual life, there's always pitfalls and, and, and we have to be always discerning. We have to stay in the Word of God. We have to listen to what the Spirit says. We need to make, make sure that we're in fellowship with God. Keep short accounts with God. We don't want to get arrogant and cocky and then become lacking discerning because we're not listening to the Spirit's warnings in the Word of God. When he says, I want you, that's the word in the Greek, uh, fellow. And that is uh, followed by the accusative form of the personal pronoun C, which is translated you. So together these two words say, I want you. Now this word, fellow, means to desire something. It's talking about Paul desiring that the Romans be wise in what is good, but innocent in what is evil. Now listen to me. Who inspired Paul to write this? And who inspired him to write the entire epistle? The Holy Spirit. So this is a spirit-inspired desire that Paul has for these people. Now, what's the application for pastors like myself? What do we? What do you think I, when I hear, hear this, and I read this, and I study this, what do you think the Holy Spirit's telling me? I need to have that desire for my people, that they be wise in what is good, and innocent in what is evil. Now listen to another thing. A pastor can only do so much. He, his responsibility is to give, his responsibility is to be faithful in teaching the Word of God. After that, it's up to you what you're going to do with it. I could sit there and talk for five, five hours straight, ten hours straight, teach the Word of God all night, like Paul did one time in the book of Acts, and a teenager fell out of the window because they fell asleep and listened to Paul. You think I'm more long-winded? Well, Paul was much more long-winded than I. And you could teach till you're blue in the face, but that doesn't mean that the people in your audience are going to apply it. So you have it's, it's I have my responsibility is to make sure to warn you to warn you because there are people the devil's remember we we studied in First Peter the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour and I have seen him devour okay and it happens so and it breaks my heart 
it kills me. You have no idea how it kills me and how it kills all pastors when they teach the Word of God and they see the devil take somebody away from, the, from, the, from what they should be doing, listening and teaching the Word of God. And if you're not listening to the Word of God, and you've heard me say this, you're going to be tested for what you learn. It's just like, this is the schoolroom, and God will test you. He did this with Israel. He said, I'm going to allow false uh, things to come in. And that's to test you. He says it in Deuteronomy. And God does that with us. He did that with Israel. He'll do that to the church. He got fed the word of God, and then the test comes in. He allows the devil to come in, and then he, go, he lets the devil have his way, and then we find out who's approved by God, who passed the test, and who didn't. And many Christians get taken away from the plan of God for their lives and lose, lose, the, lose track of where they're going because they weren't paying attention when the information was being presented to them. And thus they lacked discernment and they didn't understand that they were under attack. They didn't understand how the enemy attacks. How does the enemy attack? He attacks the authority. What does it have, what, what, who is the author of going against the authority? Satan. What does it say in Isaiah 14, 12-14? Ezekiel 28. Who is going up against authority? Satan is the author of rebellion. So you can always tell Satan's hand in a life of a believer or even an unsaved person as their attitude toward authority. Authority given to the government by God, given to the pastor, given to the parents over the children. The children are to obey their parents. That's what they're supposed to do. And the Christian children are supposed to obey their parents. And congregations are to obey their pastor. They're, to also, they're not to re rebel. Just like we're not to rebel against the government. Unless, as we saw in Romans 13, the government is telling us something that is immoral or we're not to do teach the gospel. Or a pastor is telling somebody in the church to do something immoral or is trying to do something that's uh, underhanded or not biblical. Yeah, you, when they, some of the pastors are telling you to do that, yeah, you have a right to say, obey God and reject what He says. But many Christians, they don't listen. And what happens is, they go and attack authority. I was listening, I was talking to a pastor, and a Baptist pastor in Iowa, and he was telling me that a friend of his had a big church split. And he was saying, These guys, and this is a Baptist pastor talking about his friend. And a big church split, and it was all the, there was this couple of group of guys, and they were all over the pastor. They wouldn't let the pastor exercise his authority. A word pastor means a shepherd. Okay, it means he fly, he watches over the flock of sheep. So these individuals wouldn't let the pastor do his job, and they fought him tooth and nail, and they ran him out of town. And that is a sign of those believers who are under the influence of the devil, and they could sit there and say they're not, but they are because their actions show and their conduct shows that they reject authority, and therefore there's consequences for that. They will be disciplined by God count on it. And that is where it goes back again to being wise to what is good and innocent and what is evil, to watch out for, for watch out for false teaching. I'm you see this is when Christians don't have discernment, they fall for these things. Oh, we're gonna go against the authority. Let's let's gossip. Let's backstep. As soon as you hear somebody gossip, you should reject it. Word of God rejects that. Galatians talks about that. You're to reject it. You're to reject it. That's having discernment. Okay? And it doesn't matter. Listen to me. 
doesn't matter. You have to obey God. Don't be a people pleaser. Be a God pleaser. Because God will bless you. God, will, God wants His children to obey Him. Don't fall for the pressure that's out there. The peer pressure that's out there. Because I know it is. Because a lot of Christians want you to, that are going in the wrong direction, they want to take you with them down. Don't fall for it. Be wise. Be wise. Be, be wise in what is good, Paul says, and innocent in what is evil. Remember we studied Galatians last week? We went through a couple of passages. It killed Paul. It killed Paul that these people that he led to the Lord gave them the word of God, taught them, and they still fell for the false teachers, the Judaizers. Read 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. That church was a disaster. You had, you had immoral, immorality rampant. You had, they were rejecting Paul's authority as an apostle. They were having, they had, uh, uh, they had incestuous relationships in the church. People getting drunk at the Lord's table. People arguing over who, what pastor they were following. This is all in the first and second Corinthians. These guys were, and there were other things that they went on. They were a disaster. They had no discernment. They rejected the wisdom of God. And they were more impressed with the wisdom of men. And that's what the Judaizers pressed, as we saw last week, the Pharisees. They, predict, they, they pushed their own traditions, which is human viewpoint. And human viewpoint basically comes bound back to Satan. So you're either on, even following God's viewpoint or Satan's viewpoint. You're either following the Word of God or you're following Satan's viewpoint. Do not, do not, if you follow God's viewpoint and in the Word of God, you will have discernment. If you reject it, you won't have discernment, and then you're going to end up under discipline from God. Warning, intensive, and then dying discipline. Alright? So, it says in Romans 16, uh, 19, For the report of your obedience is reached to all, therefore I'm rejoicing over you, but I want you to be wise, he says, in what is good and innocent in what is evil. To be is the verb emi, and actually when he says to be wise, he's talking about, I want you to possess a particular characteristic. And what's that characteristic? Wisdom. Wise is the word sophos. It's related to the noun uh, sophia, where we get the woman's name. That, and, and actually this word wise is in the plural in the Greek, and it actually means wise ones. So he says, I want you to be wise ones, having wisdom. You know what wisdom is? Knowledge, how to do things God's way. Wisdom, God's wisdom, is knowledge how to do things God's way. Hey, there's wisdom in building the tabernacle. God gave wisdom to the guys who were the carpenters, the guys, the artisans that built the tabernacle. That was a particular wisdom that God gave them, that God gave these men. And God gives us wisdom in all areas of life. If we read His Word, He teaches you how to be a great husband, a great wife, a great parent. He teaches you how to be a great pastor. He teaches you how to be a great Christian, a great leader, spiritual leader, or a civic leader. He teaches you how to be. He teaches you how to have have a great relationship sexually in your marriage. The Bible teaches all these things. He teaches us a whole gamut of things. He gives us wisdom, know-how, and when you know how to do things, God. He teaches you how to run a church, how to church run a church the right way. He teaches you how to do that, how to be a good deacon, how to be a good pastor. It's all in His Word of God. It's not in a manual written by uh, in, in the world. Okay, It's written in the manual called the Word of God. The Christian's manual. This is where I'm marching orders and this is the book that teaches us how to do things in life. 
how to have a successful life. All in this book. Learn it. Be a student. And you will be wise in so many areas of life. You will have wisdom. Be, you'll have wisdom that will blow away people. For instance, you could have a conversation with somebody who has a, a genius IQ, and that IQ can't measure up to the IQ of Christ, the mind and thinking of Christ, and the Spirit. So this word, when he says wise, sophos, it actually indicates that Paul desires that the Romans possess God's wisdom in their soul with respect to sound teaching. It denotes that he wants them to have keen understanding and discernment regarding that which is sound doctrine. Now, where is God's wisdom? God's wisdom is in the mind and thinking of Christ, which appears in the written word of God. Look at Colossians. Hold your place. Look at Colossians chapter 2. Look at verse 1. Colossians 2.1. For instance, we're talking about wisdom. Let's take about prayer. Wisdom is God's wisdom. God's wisdom is knowledge, know-how, how to do different things God's way. Let's, pray. Let's talk about prayer for a second. Prayer. God's Word teaches us how to pray. God's Word teaches us how to pray. It teaches the protocol to pray. It teaches us what we should pray for. So this is, some, this is every area of our lives is covered in the Word of God. Now, where do we get this wisdom? It's in the mind and thinking of Christ. Look at Colossians 2.1. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf. A struggle in prayer. He never met these guys as well, the Colossians. So he prayed for them. He struggled in prayer for them. And for those who are at Laodicea, he did. And for all those who have not personally seen my face. This is what he prayed for. That their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love, and attain to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in the true knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ Himself. Oh, I could just hear somebody, some emotional Christian here in, in Western in, in, in America saying, Oh, Paul, you're being too intellectual. You're not thinking with you're not praying with your heart as they point to their chest. No. He is praying according to his heart, because his prayer is according to the mind of Christ, the Spirit of Christ. He's thinking with his heart and the heart the Bible says in your head, not your cardiovascular system. So don't say, I'm praying, I'm praying with my heart. Just clutch your chest. You're looking you're showing yourself as being ignorant of the Bible. I don't care who you are, you're ignorant of the Bible. Because the Bible, this, all that he said here came from his heart. It came from his heart. Then look he says about Christ in verse 3. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's why men and women have followed Jesus and made themselves a student of this word, have given up everything to do that. I'm not bragging. This is the truth. I've given up everything. This is nothing that's more important than the Bible. I, will, I have left behind family, friends, everything back east to follow God's plan. I have sacrificed time, relationships, money, jobs, so I could be a student of this Bible. And if I had to do it over again, I would still do it. Because there's nothing better than, than what's in this book. There's nothing sweeter than the Word of God. It's worth more than all the money that Rockefeller and Bill Gates have. It's worth more. You can have your wonderful big huge houses and your nice possessions and everything. Nothing compares to the Word of God. Nothing. You kids, if you're smart, if you're smart, you follow your mom and your dad and do be, be a great student of the Word of God. You can have a wonderful life if you do that. It's so much fun to study God's Word. There's nothing like it. 
There's nothing like it in, the, in, the, in, in, in life. Don't fall for the, all that baloney out there that says happiness comes from getting married and having kids or having a lot of money. There's nothing wrong with those things, but that's not the source of our happiness. It's Christ, the Bible. Because when you stand before Jesus, when you die, or wherever the rapture, wherever it comes first, you can say, I know you. <laughs> I've been reading about you and your love letters to me my whole life. What a, thing, what a great thing that'll be if we can say that before Him. Yeah, Jesus, I know you. See, the people who know Jesus know His Word. The people who know Jesus know how to do things His way. Not the world's way. Not the way the world says to do things. No. How God says He wants to do it. Many times, all the time I will say, God will contradict the world. The world will contradict God. Okay? The majority is never right. It's always the minority. And the minorities are the ones who fall in God in Jesus Christ. Now the believer acquires the wisdom of God by letting the word of Christ richly dwell in his soul, which gives him the capacity to glorify God in whatever circumstance or relationship in life. Uh, go, to, go to Colossians again. <coughs> Colossians. Look at Colossians chapter 3. Look at verse 1. Colossians 3, 1. Colossians 3.1 Therefore, Paul says, if you've been raised up with Christ, first class condition of the Greek says, and it's true, keep seeking the things above where Christ is. See that the right hand of God. Seeking means zealously do it. Give your all, not a 50% effort. Love Jesus and know and seek after Him with everything you've got. Set your mind, concentrate on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died, your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life is revealed at the rapture, then you will also be revealed with Him in glory, resurrection body. Therefore, based upon these things, in verses 1-4, through four, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. Why? Because you've died with Christ and you're raised with Christ. That's why you consider yourself dead to uh, members of your body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it, verse 6, For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience, the unbelievers. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also. Put them all aside. The fact that he has to tell the Colossians to do that means that Christians can get involved in these things. What things? Anger, wrath, malice, slander. You know what slander is? You say something about somebody and you don't know the facts and you tell people about this person and say things about that person and you don't know the facts. And even if you didn't know the facts, you're sitting there saying derogatory things about the person vindictively. That's slander. Now Paul had to tell them, put aside all these things. You know why? Because Christians can get involved in these things, people. How do we get involved in these things? We got a sin nature. Everybody does. So he says, put aside all anger, wrath, malice, and slander. And abusive speech from your mouth. You see somebody who's abusive to another Christian with their mouth? That's, they're, they're living in their flesh. And if you were smart, you'd rebuke them. Unless you're the object of it, you probably just want to just turn the other cheek. Look at verse 9. Do not, do not lie to one another, 
since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. The fact that he has to say this means that Christians can, can lie to each other. And don't think that's not true. If you don't think that's true, wait, live a little longer and you'll learn what it's like to be lied to. Look at verse 10. And have put on the new self, which is being renewed to a true knowledge, according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there's no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and freeman, but Christ is all and in all. So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion. Compassion means you want the best for somebody. You don't... Compassion... Compassion is what God did for us. We were wicked sinners. What do we deserve? We deserve the lake of fire. All of us. What did God do? He had compassion on us. You know how he showed his compassion? He sent his son to the cross. Did he have to do that? He didn't have to do that. That's compassion. We couldn't help ourselves. Now, if God treated us that way, don't we have a... Don't we... Aren't we obligated to treat each other with a heart of compassion? Having an unforgiving heart is not being compassionate. Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bearing with one another, forgiving each other, bringing up somebody's sins, whether it's in your marriage or in any other relationship, is not forgiving somebody at all. You're basically digging up the past so you can stick a knife in them. And yet, does God do that to us? I read my Bible, it says, I remember your sins no more, as far as the east is from the west. So who are you to dig up somebody's junk in their past? And mind you, I'm not talking about me. I'm just saying this out loud. Okay? Think about that. Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, patience, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other. Backstabbing each other is not forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone... Do you have a complaint against me? If I have a complaint against you, what are we supposed to do? Ignore each other? Give each other the cold shoulder? Be unforgiving? No, it says, just, I love this, it's so beautiful, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. You're obligated to forgive another person no matter what they did to you. Hey, there are things people have done to me in the last, the last three months? My gosh, I tell you what, if I was, if I didn't have the mind of Christ, I would seriously... With re you don't want to know what I would like to do. What was I supposed to do? You know what I did? Anytime somebody said something about me or I got a, a vicious email from somebody or something, you know what I had to do? I sit there and go, look at my Bible and say, God, you forgave me. I have to remind myself, God, you forgave me of so many sins, no matter what. There's not, I've, you've forgiven me of all my sins, past, present, and future. And you know what? The way you treated me tonight... You know, the way you've treated me my whole life and are treating me now and treating me in the future, you know what? I'm going to forgive that person because I've done worse to you, God, than that person ever did to me. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That's what I... That's how I... This is what... See, pastor has to, has to apply this too. Look at this. Now, you know, I'm reading this. You're saying, I thought it was misapplied. This is wisdom we're getting. Knowledge how to deal with relationships, people. Knowledge. Wisdom is knowledge, know-how, how to deal with something God's way. This is how you deal with relationships with each other. Look at verse 14. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Show me a church that has no unity, I'll show you a church where people are not operating in love. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. 
to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, your soul. Not on your refrigerator. In your soul with all wisdom. Teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to Him, to God the Father. Now go back to Romans 16, 19. And we'll close. Romans 16, 19. Romans 16, 19. Paul says, For the report of your obedience is reached to all. Therefore, he says, I'm rejoicing over you, but I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. What does he mean by this? Uh, be, I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. What is, what is good and what is evil? And what is good is a prepositional phrase in the Greek. We have the preposition is, translated, uh, translated for, and then we have the, the adjective, which is actually acting as a noun, agathos, which is translated good. Now this word agathos, good, it is describing teaching that is in accordance with the Father's will, indicating that Paul desires that the Roman believers be wise one with respect to teaching that is in accordance with the Father's will. So when he says, I want you to be wise in what is good, good is talking about that which is in accordance with the will of the Father, that's found in the Word of God. It denotes that they are to have keen discernment and deep understanding, the Romans are, as to what is sound teaching. And that's supported. that interpretation is supported by the fact, what was he talking about in verses 17 and 18? false teaching. So he says, I want you to be wise in what is good teaching, sound doctrinal teaching that's found in the Bible, not in the missionary in the Talmud or in some, uh, or in, uh, or some uh, uh, Christian bookstore from a Christian author who doesn't use the Bible. That is basically uh, a, a glorified Tony Robbins, Christian Tony Robbins. No, Bible, that's what is good. It's good. Agathos, when he says good, what does that mean? Good in what sense? Well, it's describing teaching that it's in accordance with the Father's will as being intrinsically valuable, intrinsically good, inherently good in quality, but with the idea of good which is profitable, useful, benefiting others, benevolent. The Word of God is truly good because it benefits us and God and each other. Now the Father's will is described as agathos. Why? Because it's in accordance with His perfect holiness and His character and nature. The Word of God originates from the essence of God. Remember Paul Look at it says in uh, Philippians. Hold your place. We're to dwell upon this. Paul describes the Word of God for us. In Philippians. Look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 9, I believe it is. Hold your place. Verse 8. Philippians 4, 8. Paul says in Philippians 4, 8, Finally, brethren, that's the second finally he used. In Philippians 3, 1 he used finally. Then in here in Philippians 4, 8 he says finally. He finally getting to the end. <laughs> finally, brethren, whatever is true. What is he talking about? Whatever is honorable. What is, who is he talking about? What is he talking about? Whatever is right. Whatever is pure. Whatever is lovely. Whatever is of good repute. If there's any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. What is he talking about? He's given the attributes of the Word of God. The Word of God is honorable, true. 
The word of God is pure. It's right. It's lovely. It's of good repute. It's excellence. It's worthy of praise. God's word is. And we're to dwell on the God's word. Then he says, and we know that's the truth, that he's talking about God's word, because look what he says in verse 9. The things you have learned. What? The word of God. And received the word of God. And heard the word of God. And seen in me. Putting into practice the word of God. Practice these things. Put into application what I've taught you. And the peace of God will be with you. There might be no peace around you, but there's peace within your soul. That's why you could be in the eye of the storm and have the peace of God. Now go back to Romans 16, 19. We'll close. Finally. <laughs> Romans 16, 19. And look at that last adversative clause. He says, but I want you to be wise in what is good. That we know is what? It's talking about the, that is which in accordance to the what that which is in accordance to the will of God, which is found in the Word of God. So he's talking about the Word of God, there, the teaching of the Word of God, that contradicts false teaching. And he says, I want you to be innocent in what is evil. Innocent is the word akirios, and this word denotes the absence of evil or satanic viewpoint in the souls of the believers. You could translate it uncontaminated. You could translate this word innocent uncontaminated. You know what he's saying with this word innocent? He's saying, I don't want you to be, have your souls contaminated with the word, with the, the devil's viewpoint. That's why I shut the television off. Don't, 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 uh, don't put down these ungodly books and magazines that are out there. Put down Cosmopolitan magazine and People magazine, which is nothing but gossip uh, rags. And even the newspapers, have, instead of reporting the facts, they've become gossip. I was online one time reading, trying to watch the. the uh, Read the scores in the, in the Boston papers about the Red Sox and the Patriots, and I go online, and then he's got these pictures in the sports page. Now, what if some kids got kids, you know, a young kid is reading the sports page like I did when I was a young kid, and they got these pictures about you know, if you want to see some meet somebody nice, and then they had show this woman who, whose bosom is hanging out. Okay, this is in the sports page. What if this ten-year-old kid like I was when I was ten years old was looking at that? That ungodliness. Okay? I mean, nothing wrong with a woman's bosom, but in its right place, like in your marriage, all right? In your bedroom, all right? Not hanging out all over the world like uh, we have today. We need to have, this is, this is where he's talking about uncontaminated. Now, how do you stay uncontaminated? Now, let me ask you some question. I go to work, pass the bill, and I know what this is like. I go to pass the bill, I listen to gossip. Huh. I, hear, I hear gossip around me. I don't, I don't want to listen to it. I, hear go I have to deal with people who are ungodly in the way they run their business. There's the, how do I deal with that? Remember, you don't have to allow that into your soul, what they're saying. You can hear it and reject it and say, well, the Word of God says this. Okay? So you have a choice. You don't have to go and think the way the world tells you to think. And the world's always trying to tell us how to think. When I say the world, I'm saying Satan's cosmic system. That everybody in this neighborhood, unless they're a Christian and in the Word of God, is into. Okay? You're surrounded, people. Okay? We're surrounded. And the Word of God protects our soul. The Spirit of God, through the Word of God, protects our souls. So this word innocent is actually talking about or describing a believer whose soul is uncontaminated with satanic viewpoint. The adjective here describes, this word describes the souls of the Roman believers as being pure or clean and suitable for fellowship with God and fit for the Father's purpose as a result of avoiding the false teachers such as the Judaizers. It says in Matthew 10, 16, the Lord said, Remember, He said to His disciples, I'm sending all of you as sheep in the midst of wolves. 
Therefore be wise as the serpents and pure as the doves. So he's saying there, have discernment. And he was saying to these guys who were teaching the gospel. So the message for me was that I have to have discernment. Because there are people who are around me who will, are there not for good reasons in my life. The devil has planted them there who are wolves in sheep's clothing. And they're that way. You gotta, you don't, don't be, listen, learn, learn something that I've learned the hard way. Not everybody is your friend. Not everybody's your friend. You have no discernment if you think that everybody is legit or that everybody has good intentions toward you. Don't be stupid. Because not everybody has good intentions toward you. You might see that in your job. Some guy might take you out to lunch and try to, impl- and try to talk to you. and be- He doesn't have good intentions. He's trying to plot and scheme to undermine you and to take away that position that you're seeking after. He might have wrong intentions or she might have wrong intentions. So you've got to be wise to these things. You can't be gullible. Someone who's gullible buys every, what everybody says. Oh, uh, I, I, you know, they'd say, oh, I'm your friend, you know, I like, you know, and meanwhile, you find out later that they were spreading, they were, they were revealing confidences to other people, and you thought they were your friend all along. Oh, you found out the hard way, didn't you? Then he says, you're to be innocent in what is evil, and, and uncontaminated in your soul with respect to what is evil. And what is evil is the preposition is again, and then with it we have the accusative form of the adjective kakos, which is functioning like a noun here because of the article before it. And this word means evil, and it describes teaching of the Judaizers. And anybody who's teaching which is in disobedience to the will of the Father, and not according to to the Father's will. So therefore, he's saying, have discernment here. So, how do you have discernment as we wrap this up? Become a student of the Word of God. Be serious about your relationship with God. Ask questions. Study. Put aside aside sanctified time. Come and hear your pastor teach like you guys are doing. That's all good. God's put these blessings in your life so he wants to give you discernment so you can glorify him so you can have wisdom and be successful in God's eyes. Maybe not in the world's eyes, but successful in God's eyes, in the Lord Jesus Christ's eyes, in the Spirit's eyes. That's what we're here for, to please them and and not ourselves. And to get this wisdom is a responsibility that every Christian has. We need to be wise. We need to have discernment when it comes to those who have false teaching. And don't be fooled. See, you'll be fooled. If you reject the Word of God, you'll be fooled by those with smooth talking who are just out there to try to either take your money or to hurt you in some way or to use you and exploit you some way which is happening unfortunately to a lot of Christians in our day and age they're being exploited and manipulated by false teaching such as you could lose your salvation stuff like that that is a terrible terrible thing to have happen and God doesn't want that happen to have it happen to us so hopefully we listen to what the spirit said here this evening so let's bow our heads and pray to the great audience Father thank you so much for this time to study your word, and we pray that the Spirit would, uh, would guide us and direct us in what we've learned, and encourage us, instruct us in righteousness, rebuke us if necessary, and we thank you for any rebuke that you've given us here this evening, and all the encouragement that you've given us as well, and the instruction in how to be righteous, and to live in, a, in accordance to your will, Father. And we pray also that you would bless the fellowship after you give us traveling mercies on the way home, and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ's name we pray.